This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's innovation foundation, and was recorded at FutureFest, our weekend festival of ideas. Sex, lies, and automation. This is the FutureFest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and we're asking, how far will machines go? On this episode... So I felt a tightness in my chest. I was at war with a robot version of myself. Author John Ronson finds himself on a digital battlefield. Artist Anna Dimitriou talks about humans and robots getting friendly. So you don't kind of expect that. That's sort of wiped out of the, the research idea that older people would be particularly interested in kind of sex robots. And we catch up with a blind robot that wants to map your face with the help of its mechanical hands. But first, let's start with a tale that pits humans against machines. John Ronson took to the main stage at FutureFest to discuss the dangers of the medium and the message. And just a warning to younger ears, there is some salty language. The, the story starts with me accidentally typing my name into Google um, <clears throat> and inadvertently pressing search and discovering that there was another John Ronson on Twitter. Um, and uh, he had my name, John underscore Ronson, and his avatar was a picture of my face. And as I looked in surprise at his timeline, he tweeted, going home, got to get the recipe for a huge plate of guarana and mussel in a bap with mayonnaise, hashtag yummy. <laughs> so I wrote, who are you? And he wrote, watching Seinfeld, I would love a big plate of celeriac grouper and sour cream kebab with lemongrass, hashtag foodie. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. The next morning, I checked the other John Ronson's Twitter feed before I checked my own. Uh, And in the night, he tweeted, I am dreaming something about time and cock. (laughs) He had 20 followers. And some were people that I knew from real life uh, who were presumably wondering why I'd suddenly become so passionate about fusion cooking uh, and candid about dreaming about cock. So I did some digging and I discovered that it was a spam bot created by three intellectuals. Um, One was called Luke Robert Mason. I'm aware that some of you in the crowd may know these these men. So I thought, okay, this is fine, I'll I'll, I'll tell him I don't like the spam bot and I'll take it down. So I said, hi, can you take down your spam bot, please? And he replied, we prefer the term infomorph. So I wrote, but it's taken my identity. And he wrote, the infomorph isn't taking your identity. It is repurposing social media data into an infomorphic aesthetic. (laughs) So I felt a tightness in my chest. I was at war with a robot version of myself. (laughs) So, finally I said, if you won't take down your spam bot, maybe we can at least meet. 
Uh, you can explain the rationale behind your spam bot, and I can film it and put it on YouTube. And he said, that would be great. We'd very much like to explain the rationale behind the infomorph. And I said, that's great, because I'm very much looking forward to hearing the rationale behind the spam bot. You seem to be saying there is only one John Ronson, and I'm the real John Ronson. You're, you're kind of proposing yourself as the real McCoy. We think there's already a, a layer of artifice there. But what you're saying is that it's your online personality. The, the brand John Ronson that you're trying to protect, yeah? No, it's just me I mean, tweeting. it's not you. No, you're no. you. We've met you. Now, today, we're meeting face-to-face, person-to-person. The internet is not the real world. Yeah, but I it? write my tweets and then I press send. So it's me on Twitter. That's not academic. I think, to take it back to where it came from. It's not from. postmodern. <laughs> It's the fact of it. This is bizarre. I, f- I find it really, really strange the way you're approaching it. You must be one of the very few people I've ever come across who's chosen to come on Twitter and use their own name as their Twitter name. I don't really know anyone who does that. And that's why I'm a little suspicious of your motives here, John. That's why I say I think you're using it as brand management. You know what? I have, never, I have never used the term brand management in my life. <laughs> I've never used that phrase in my life. These words that you use are a completely different language. Uh-huh. And that's the same about this spam bot. Its language is completely different to mine. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, that's what's annoying me so much. It's like a misrepresentation of You'd me. like it to be more like you. No, I'd like it to not exist. That's, that's bizarre. Then I'd like it to not exist. Yeah. Why? Because, I, I don't know, I find something quite psychologically interesting about that. Why? Um, I, I don't know, I find that quite aggressive, almost. Like, you'd like to kill these algorithms, then you must feel threatened in some way. I had to stop the clip there because just after that I got out from behind the camera and I stabbed him in the face. Um, (laughs) So, after the interview was over, I I staggered out into the London afternoon and I dreaded uploading the footage onto YouTube because I'd been so screechy and I consider my screechiness to be my Achilles heel and so I, I dreaded reading comments mocking my screechiness uh, so I, I posted it and then I left it 10 minutes and then with apprehension I had a look and, and the first comment read this is identity theft they should respect John's personal liberty and I thought wow and then the next one said Somebody should make alternate Twitter accounts of all of those ass clowns and constantly post about their strong desire for child porn. (laughs) I grinned. Utter hateful assholes. These f***ed up academics deserve to die painfully. The cut in the middle is a psychopath. (laughs) I frowned slightly. I hope nobody's going to actually hurt them, I thought. Gas the cunts. Especially middle cunt. And especially left side bald cunt. And especially quiet cunt. And then piss on their corpses. I won. They froze their spam bot. And I, I was happy to be victorious. It was like a wonderful feeling that overwhelmed me like a sedative. But also, I've got to admit, a, an image popped into my mind when all this was happening. And the, and the image was a toddler crawling towards a gun. I thought, we've got this incredibly powerful weapon and what are we doing with it? And are we thinking it through? 
John Ronson's latest book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, is out now wherever you buy your books. There's something delicate about the caress of a hand on a face, but imagine those 10 fingers belong to an animatronic robot. That was one of the experiences offered at FutureFest with the installation Blind Robot, where people got a chance to sit down in front of a machine with two human arms that sprung to life and then gently mapped their faces through touch. I didn't find it, I thought I'd find it mechanistic and I didn't, so I found it quite organic. It felt like an animal or a creature that was curious. So I found it quite, quite gentle and as though it was, as though it was um, yeah, exploring, my, exploring my face. I think the sound as well. Sounds a little bit like uh, cicadas or something. Yeah, it sounds quite natural, there's a sort of natural sense um, to it. It's quite pleasurable. <laughs> I am Geraldine Adjish and uh, I work with the Blind Robots, uh, commissioned by Bodidata Space. Before I used to like draw, um, you know, the kind of like a drawing of your face, but he was not a really good painter, so we made him stop. Uh, it needs to yeah. be a bit more developed, and then we focused more on the like the, 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 um, the experience for the public. So just you know, just having this kind of like I'm just touching you because you're here, and I need to I need to discover your face because I'm blind, and not like oh I'm touching you to draw. Because then the intention is quite different, and, that has, and then the public kind of focus on the drawing and be like, oh, that's not me, nah, 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 instead of focusing on, like, actually, there's two robotic hands touching my face in a really gentle way, and it feels okay. You know, we, we, we're more about the, yeah, people questioning themselves on, like, how is it, I don't know, how is it possible that we feel so natural getting touched by robots? You know, like, we made it that far. We asked blind robot creator Louis-Philippe de Meur what his intention was behind the machine. My fantasy is when I make these things is to be able to make you experience something that you never experienced before and you would not experience otherwise. Uh, you know, you go to a zoo, you can pet animals and then you pet a robot, it's different. Similarities, but yet enough difference to get a glimpse at something, not necessarily that is to come, but something, an alternate way of living, alternate way of object reacting to you. The whole idea is like when I do performances is not to make Shakespeare on the stage, but to make a robot performance, object that behaves in a way that maybe you don't know why they're behaving like this, but they still bounce around and do their thing. They don't do our thing, that's a big difference. So uh, what's the junction between the two, if there's any? And while the creator of Blind Robot is trying to make an experience, there's one experience that's developing a robotic market. And as artist Anna Dimitriou tells us, never underestimate the usefulness of a sex robot. People say they want humanoid robots in their lives. I think everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people really seem to love the idea of having a humanoid robot around. And that's kind of a given, I think. But how do, how do they look? How do we want them to look? With Hertfordshire University, they're investigating robots as carers for older people, or as they like to say, companions. Because the idea of actually having 
A carer is quite technically complex. It requires a lot of kind of fiddly manipulation. It's really hard to make a robot make a cup of tea um, without pouring the water upside down, or you'd have to have the teacup in the same spot every time and things like that to really make it function. So they've, they've kind of taken a different view on that and sort of say, well, what about as companions? They could just sort of be there and hang out with people and make a bit of conversation. Did an older people's conversation event, and um, people said that you know if this robot was hanging around with them and it speaks, it, it doesn't say much. It says a few phrases um, that we can kind of program into it. But people react to it; they start chatting with it anyway, even if it's not actually having a conversation with you. But you kind of impose that on it. You want that, um, and uh, they said that if that robot came and put its arm around them, which is one experiment we've done, like care robots, we made a robot that actually appears to care. Um, and that's a very strange experience for someone to actually have a robot kind of put their arm gently around them. Um, they said that if the robot did put their arm around them, they, they thought it would be incredibly moving. But the, the next question was, well, yeah, this is all very well, but what, tell us, we heard that there are these sex robots available, and um, how about that? So you don't kind of expect that. That's sort of wiped out of the, the research idea that older people would be particularly interested in kind of sex robots. But this seemed to be quite an interesting market, I think, perhaps, for, for the future of it. And, uh, and in terms of... Yeah, uh, Roxy is commercially available now uh, for in America. Um, there's a male version as well, Rocky. And it's actually got a Wi-Fi link in it um, because the guy who invented it said that um, he wanted, um, like, sometimes sex is all very well, but sometimes you want to chat to someone as well so it can, like, download the football results, apparently. When it was first invented, he said that a guy came to him and said, well, could you make a robot that looks like my dead wife? Because um, I don't want to be unfaithful to her, but I still need sex. So, I mean, this is something, you know, again, with the elderly um, or with older people that might be of interest. And on that note, that's it for this episode of the Future Fest podcast. This podcast featured music by Steve Coombs and Broke for Free. FutureFest is brought to you by Nesta, the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. To join the conversation, go to the website nesta.org.uk, where you will find a fine selection of videos from FutureFest, including the full talk from John Ronson. We'll be back next time as we go on the hunt for thrills in the future. But until then, I'm Emily Elias. Goodbye.